This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Uh, and um, while you can listen to audiobooks pretty much anywhere and at any time, uh, they have more than just audiobooks. And in this time where uh, things are a little crazy, it's nice to know that you can get things like guided meditation and Audible originals and news and just podcasts, all sorts of things on Audible that um, really make it incredibly valuable. So uh, feel free, you can get a free trial uh, by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and check it out for yourself. Uh, see what it does for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast uh, is continuing to gain recognition as a great resource for business and entrepreneurs, everything from salespeople to leaders to uh, small business owners. Uh, if it's a business topic, we're addressing it here. Uh, and that is uh, so that all of you can get the information you need that you're looking for to do better things in your business. There are some wonderful people with incredible expertise who join me uh, to have a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. And today, we are fortunate to have Micah Rowland. Micah isn't your everyday builder, maybe because he doesn't build homes, cabinets, or even the software that he built during the earliest stages of his career. 
As chief operating officer of Fountain, Micah builds people, teams, and processes that have taken multiple companies from 50 to 300 people and beyond and $5 million to $35 million in revenue. Thanks so much for joining me today, Micah. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you here. Now, um, I understand, uh, if I am correct, that you've developed uh, some unconventional, we will say, ways for uh, a business to turn like common problems into opportunities for growth. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about what those problems are and, and really why so many businesses experience them. I'll try. I wouldn't say that I have necessarily developed my, my own ways, but I've learned from great managers and leaders that I've worked for in the past. And I think that a lot of what I try to focus on in organizations that I'm, that I'm part of or that I'm advising or working with is really about how to take the resources that are at the organization's disposable, disposal and get the most out of them. And so the, the first among these is usually the employee base or the team members. And I think it's a very common thing for managers, CEOs, leaders who are in tough situations to feel like they have to to take the entire burden on themselves and 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 to feel like they maybe are the only people capable of solving the problem and i think the worst versions of this problem can actually turn into a ceo or a manager or a leader thinking that the folks in their team are are not going to be able to contribute to solving the problem in, in a way that makes those very people disengaged and less less likely to be helpful with the problem. So what I spend a lot of my mental energy on as a manager is trying to think of the ways that I can get every person on the team engaged in problem solving such that we bring the absolute best of the creativity and the hard work and the talent and resources that people have to bear on what is in front of us. And so the the key insight there is to see people as part of the solution, not part of the problem. I think oftentimes people who wind up in managerial and leadership roles are those who have been able in the past in their careers mm-hmm. to to see challenges, to see problems and to understand them and dive into them and work towards a solution. And if you have somebody who is good at that as an individual contributor, then they're good at, they're good at seeing things that other people miss that are contributing to the problem. So if you put that person in a leadership position, it's very easy for them to see the mistakes that those in their team make or things that they think are mistakes. And it's even easier for them to, whether willfully or not, to communicate to the team members in ways that make those team members think, oh gosh, this manager thinks I'm screwing something up or thinks that I made a mistake or thinks that this thing has happened that is negative for organization was caused by me or was enabled by me. And so I think managers have to take great care in the way that they communicate with people. I jokingly can recall or I can recall jokingly having told people on my teams in the past, if you're meeting with somebody who reports into you 
and you're talking about a problem that exists in their domain, you have to, you have to imagine any possible reason that might have caused that problem that isn't about a screw-up from this person. Yeah. And the reason is if you as the boss come into a conversation and you say or do things that tip off this team member to a predisposition that you may have to believe that they are the source of the problem, then you have started the conversation in a place that is adversarial. They're going to be on the defensive. They're going to be insecure and you're not going to get the best out of them because they're only going to be looking to restore their sense of security. So I try really hard to help folks who work around me to find a feeling of security in the work that they do and in the relationship that they have with the organization and with me as their manager, or in some cases as somebody who reports to someone who's a peer, something like this. And the core reason for that is in in progressively larger and more complex organizations, it's absolutely impossible for one person or even for a small subset of people to solve problems on their own. You've got to get the other team members involved in this process. And so if you, in all of the meetings and conversations and relationships that you have with your, with your subordinates, subtly make them think that you think they are the problem or contributing to the problem, then you put them on their heels and they're not going to be they're not going to be digging in with you and giving the best that they have to offer. So I think nothing in organizational leadership really matters in terms of the day-to-day more than helping folks in your organization understand that they're in a place of security where you trust them and where you're not going to think the worst of them but you're going to think the best of them. Oftentimes I think managers who, especially newer managers, again, who are used to getting things done through dint of their own personal strengths, have a really hard time with this because they think, oh man, this task that needs to be done, I'm watching this person do it and I know that I could do it so much better than they could. I know that, that I could do it so much better than they are doing it. And that's probably true for somebody who, who is a strong individual contributor in this area. But the fact is, no manager is going to be able to replace the capacity of their entire team and be able to be effective as a manager as well. So that's a really big part of what I focus on in helping businesses to problem solve, whether I'm part of the business or advising the business or thinking about it with an outside perspective. Great. Thank you for that. And, and I, um, I totally agree with you. I've, uh, when I do leadership training, one of the things that I say is that it's not the leader's job to have all of the answers. It's the leader's job to convene the resources to find the answers. So it, it is that pulling your people together and realizing they are going to have ideas that you don't. Um, and as you said, that they need to be attached to the outcome. And if they feel like you don't trust them to be able to help with that, or that you have a preconceived notion about their contribution to the cause, um, they detach. And then you don't get as much out of them as you were, you sort of create your own problem. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. And, And I think even more than that, you don't bring into the equation all of the things that those individuals bring to the table, right? So there's kind of a, there's a neutral position. There's a negative position. The negative position is if you're 
if your team is afraid of you or they're afraid for their jobs or they think that you don't believe in them, that's a, that puts them in a negative position. But the positive position is, is significantly better than the neutral position. And I don't think in most cases it happens by default. I think you have to work towards that as a leader. The positive mm-hmm. position is this person is actually taking whatever it is about their personality and their past experience and their talents and strengths and actively working to put it to good use on your behalf for the problems that you care about. That is something that is extremely valuable. And a lot of companies and managers take it for granted without realizing it. But I think it takes a lot of work to generate and sustain that engagement. Yeah, I agree with you. I want to shift a little to um, customer service problems. And a lot of times businesses mistake the customer service problem for a pricing problem. So can you share um, some like key indicators that business owners can use to actually understand which problem they have and how to address it? Right. I tend to think about pricing and service within a broader framework or a broader set of interrelated issues that broadly I think of as value for money. And every business, every organization that is selling something, whether it's a good or a service, has this value for money equation. This is especially challenging in subscription businesses because in in a business where money changes hands one time and then the customer has the product or service that they paid for and the business has the cash that paid for it, people may wind up unhappy with the interchange but fundamentally, the business has gotten their return already. In a subscription business, you need to get the customers to continue paying you every month, yeah. quarter, year, and so on. And in that equation, the value for money balance has to be continually checked and rechecked. And when I think about it, there are four components to that. One is the price. I think of that as one side of a, of a balance beam, so to speak, it's the money that they're paying. It's probably a regular, a regularly occurring charge. It may be different over time, may vary a little bit, but that price is one side of the equation. And what needs to balance it on the other side of the equation are the product that they're paying for, what they're actually paying to get. Secondly, the service component. And almost all products come with some service component. Certainly in the industry where I've spent most of my past decade, the software as a service business The service component is really substantial. And then the third thing that they're paying for if you operate in a competitive environment is something that's more intangible around your brand. And so because of your question, we'll hone in on service because I think a lot of of businesses think, okay, if people are not happy, they're leaving the service, they're stopping their service, it's because the price is wrong or the product is wrong. And I actually think that service is a really important component in a few ways. First of all, if the customer cannot extract from your product or service all of the value that you think that they should be getting, then it's usually going to be something that needs to be solved either with education or with some type of service component that in the SaaS world is called customer success. In many other businesses, it'll be labeled something else. But the core idea is, especially if you have a a product that you've sold them and it's complex and it's something that 
maybe new because that's what enabled your company to grow as innovation was launching new capabilities and features. Not everybody that is using your product is going to know how to do that intuitively. And if you have a really well-developed learning management system or other set of tools that allow customers to access that knowledge and to make their way through an education process, that can be fine. But in many cases, customers are not going to get through all elements of that education, educational journey on their own, or they're not going to get through, or, or not every person in the organization is going to get through all elements. And in those cases, it's up to the company to figure out how to supplement that with some type of customer support or customer service that's going to help every person in the company to get the most value out of the product that they can. So that's one way that service is really important. It can actually change the value that the company that you're selling to or the person that you're selling to is getting from what you've sold to them. And that can, of course, counterbalance a price that at first glance seems too expensive because they weren't using everything that was part of the product, or maybe in some cases seems too expensive over time because you're raising the price or because the number of people in the organization that they want to use it expands and so forth. So that's one way. The second way is just the human touch that companies and people always value if they need to have help on something, whether it be something small or something much more complex. I think to a large degree, it is increasingly true that consumers and, and business users of products and services as well, if they can solve a problem without talking to a person quickly and easily, they're going to try and take that route. But in many cases, there are problems that are too complex or they require some type of approval or some type of investigation on the, on the, on the side of the service provider in order to actually solve it. And in those, in those interactions, the difference between a great service interaction that quickly and easily solves your problem and one that drags on and on or where you have to get transferred all around or it doesn't actually solve the problem is an enormous one for the consumer or for a business user. And I think that for businesses that actually invest in training, that actually invest in systems that help their staff understand quickly and easily what, what things can be done to support customers in various problematic situations in which they find themselves, those businesses are certainly going to benefit over the long haul. And investing in support and services in that way is something that is really valuable, again, because it creates this source of value in the value for money equation that balances against the money that they're paying. The value in this case is more intangible, but it matters to people. And I think companies have to deliver on that in order to be successful long-term. At this time, I'd like to take a quick sponsor break. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Uh, if you didn't already know, they have thousands of titles to choose from. But not only that, uh, they have podcasts, Audible Originals, guided meditations, news, and they just have all sorts of things, man. If you can listen to it, pretty sure they've got it. Uh, I will share with you that one of my favorite audiobooks is Gleb Sapersky's book, uh, Never Go With Your Gut. It's a great title. It's a great book. It's a great audiobook. Um, I personally... Uh, one of my favorite things is that I can listen to it anywhere and across devices. So I can listen to it in my car 
And then when I go back into my house or office, I can pick up right where I left off, which I just think is totally cool. Uh, and I think you're going to as well. So uh, get a free trial to check it out for yourself by going to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Today we are speaking with Micah Rowland about common problems and opportunities businesses have. Okay, now I have a um, ra uh, rather direct question, and it is, why do you think it is that so many founders and executives think they're better leaders than they really are? It's a big question. There are lots <laughs> of answers to that question. And I think a lot of them point to cognitive biases that are getting increasing study in the world of social sciences and management science and so forth. But I'll pick out a couple that are that I think are really important. The one that is often very pernicious and, and is difficult to solve is people who have been put in positions of authority because the teams who are charged with delivering on that person's vision or that person's instructions also are in a situation where their livelihoods and their prosperity depend on this person in authority, it's very hard for the subordinate team to be truly honest with the person who is at the top of the heap. And to the degree that that leader's personality feeds this problem, it makes it more difficult, right? So if that leader has a horrible temper, if that leader is known for making erratic decisions or decisions that to some other people in the team seem irrational, irrational or can't be well explained or aren't well communicated or aren't well executed, then people working for that leader are going to be shy about honesty with respect to their leadership strengths and what makes them effective and things they could do to be better. So it is very difficult. I think one of the most difficult things in any organizational context is to give honest, straightforward feedback to your boss because your boss is the person who can fire you and who is going to have a lot of influence on your career progression within that company. Oftentimes your boss can even have influence on the career progression in the next company that you go to because people are going to want to talk to them as a reference. And if your boss is somebody who thinks that they're good at something in particular and you as the subordinate don't think they're so good at that, then it really comes down to whether or not they can hear the feedback that you've got to give without making it cost you in terms of their future relationship with you and the way that they perceive your performance and the way that they perceive your value within the organization. So that's a big one. It's hard for people to be honest with their bosses because to be candid, a lot of bosses don't feel so safe to subordinates. Yeah. Even if they are safe, they may not feel safe. And I think it is also true that some of them are not safe. The second big area is biases that relate to uh, fundamental attribution bias is what it it's typically called, if I'm remembering the term correctly, we think about the histories that we have and we tend, in the case of positive developments of successful outcomes, we tend to attribute the successes to our own skill and talent and hard work more than we attribute failures and shortcomings to our own failures and problems. And so if if you have a company environment where, especially in a, in a 
an environment like Silicon Valley, where there's a lot of press that is that is paying attention to the biggest success stories, that is paying attention to the most successful founders. For people who found these companies, to the degree that they have successes in their past, they are going to, it's very difficult for them not to attribute those successes to their own strengths and weaknesses. And that doesn't mean that they're not a key part of the success path. In, I think, all successful cases, entrepreneurs are a key part of the equation, if, the, if not the key part of the equation. But in the little details, which is to say the way that this person's personality actually holds the company back from growing more quickly than it could have, or the way that this person's personality, to, to think about our earlier discussion around getting the most out of your team members, this person's personality has a huge impact on how people in the company show up day to day and the work that they do, the quality of the work that they do, which of course is going to have a big impact on the, on the company or organization success going forward. And so the fundamental attribution bias is one that's really challenging. And if you think about what I said earlier about a boss's personality that, that impacts the way that they react to staff feedback and you combine this with fundamental attribution bias, you got a dangerous combination of, of things because if that entrepreneur and it's not always founders. It's, it exists at every level in an organization, managers and so forth. If those people think that the reason the company has succeeded or is succeeding to the degree that it has succeeded is because they're good at X or Y or Z, then it's going to be much more difficult for somebody lower down the, the corporate ladder, so to speak, to, to come contrast that narrative with something that comes out of their own experience. The third thing that I'll talk about is the something that I think is particularly impactful in, in Silicon Valley companies, less so in larger, more established companies, which is in young companies that are full of young people, you oftentimes get a situation where many people are first-time leaders, first-time managers, and people who are first-time leaders and first-time managers have had less time to hone the craft of leadership and management which makes them, getting back to the earlier point, probably a little bit less secure in their leadership. So it makes it harder for them to accept critical feedback. It makes it harder for them to understand what the different pattern that they could be applying to a given problem might actually be because they haven't seen a lot of repetitions of these different problem types because they haven't been in management or leadership for a long time. The second shortcoming that this creates over time is if you're in an environment and you're in a leadership role for the first time and you're perhaps working for somebody, reporting into somebody who is in a leadership role that for them is the first opportunity they've had to lead at that level, it creates a, a cascading effect. If you have spent many, many years in a large company going through a sort of apprenticeship-driven model where you get to sit under the tutelage, so to speak, of more experienced, more senior leaders, watch how they do things in certain circumstances, watch how they navigate through problems that come up, uncertainties that come up. And then you have the opportunity in your first few experiences as a leader or manager to go to people like that and ask for advice, ask for help. You're far better equipped to be a good manager or a good leader. And if that apprenticeship model, which is whether or not it's actually intentionally developed at large companies or not, it is what happens because you have more senior, more experienced, 
older people in leadership roles in those larger companies. And as the people who are moving into leadership roles from more junior roles do that, they are assessed on a basis of what that additional experience brings to the table. So if you're in a small company and you don't have the luxury to hire those experienced people, you don't have the luxury to hire people who have been managing an organization of at least this size for many years and have been through tough times and good times, then you as a leader have not had the opportunity to apprentice in that space. And I think that's one thing that people who go into smaller companies need to be thoughtful about. In in some sense, it's a question that I've asked of my own career. There have been times in the past where I've worked and and reported into people who are much more experienced than me, decades older than me. And those have generally been very rich times of learning. And if I go into a situation where I'm reporting to somebody who doesn't have that experience, then it doesn't necessarily mean that that person's not a good boss or somebody good to work for, but it does mean that there's less opportunity for me to learn from those 10, 15, 20 years of, ex- of accumulated experience that my boss brought to the table in prior roles. And so if the entire company is built in such a way that makes it difficult or for whatever reason, it hasn't happened that you have those experienced people in, in leadership roles, you miss out on what that apprenticeship model has to offer to people who are looking to learn the craft and the, the, the business of leadership and organizational, organizational management. Okay. So is the, can a company like diagnose that and then are there things they can do to improve the self-awareness of the leadership team? Sure. I think there, you know, there, there are lots of ways that companies can, can do this. I mean, I'm a big fan of a book called the five dysfunctions. Um, I'm forgetting of the exact, I'm forgetting the exact name, but the, the author's name is Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team, I think is the name of the book. And this is a book that in a few of the organizations I've worked for, we've really tried to follow the advice. And fundamentally, it gets back to these same questions of, do people in your organization feel secure enough that they can hear difficult to hear things about their professional capabilities or lack thereof? And so I think for somebody who is overseeing an organization and who's charged with building a leadership team and and developing that leadership team broadly over the course of some period of time, really what you have to do is you have to make sure that everybody on that team is secure enough in their role that you can give them hard feedback, that their peers can give them hard feedback, and that their subordinates can give them hard feedback. I think that's the fundamental basis that is required in order for teams to to change and improve their self-awareness is security. People don't feel secure even if they are self-aware, they're not going to allow you to weigh in with things that make them look bad or feel bad because they're afraid. And if you have that security, then it's about finding people who can, who can look at others around them, whether it be their boss, their peers, their subordinates, and who can thoughtfully diagnose things that are not playing out the way that you'd hoped they would play out. So, I think the only thing worse than no diagnosis is the wrong diagnosis. If you Mm -hmm. think that this business unit or this business team or this company or this section of a team's work is not 
reaching the desired objectives because of a particular thing that is happening and it turns out that the, the root cause is something else, then you might try to enact a solution that is actually going to damage things and to make the situation worse rather than fix it. And oh. so I, I think this is a really important topic for leadership teams today because it's very easy for people to say, oh, I don't like finger pointing. I don't like finger pointing either, but I do want to understand what the root causes of problems that occur are. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes root causes of business problems and organizational problems that crop up are going to be related to shortcomings in the team, whether it's a a personality foible or flaw, or it's something that is related to somebody's work ethic, or it's something that's related to somebody's skill that could be fixed with training or cultivation over time, or even it's something that's related to somebody's engagement that is linked to their personal life. We're all people. We all have personal lives that are going outside of work. And so having people be secure and then having people who are good at diagnosing and and communicating, that's the third part, is once you've diagnosed in a, in a thoughtful and oftentimes a quantitatively enabled way or quantitatively backed up way with numbers and statistics to tell you which parts of the org are not working well and help you understand why that might be the case, then you have to be able to communicate that diagnosis and craft a solution to the people who are going to be part of the solution. And so, again, if you have a team that is not that has members that don't feel secure, they may not be open to that part of the solution because it's a threat to them. By the same token, if people are secure and you've diagnosed the problem really well and you have a solution in mind that is targeted at that diagnosis, then generally speaking, people are going to be open to enacting or to being part of enacting that solution because that's going to make them more successful in their job. And most people that I know, most people in the business world today, they are interested in getting better at their job. They are interested in growth and development. It's very rare that I see somebody who who isn't interested in that. And even in the rare cases that it does happen, usually it's a temporary scenario that links to something going on in their life that makes them care less right now about work than they do about something else. So I think number one, security, building an environment where people feel safe and people people know that even if they make mistakes or their flaws are exposed in the in the public light, not that you would do that intentionally, but if that does happen, where they're not going to be exposed to huge downside because of it. Number two, good diagnosis and understanding which root causes lead to which problems, then crafting solutions that are going to solve those root causes and then communicating with people in such a way that they're going to get on board with and be part of the solution. So that I think applies to leadership teams just as much as it does to folks further down in the organization on the front lines, because the leaders are people who, who have their own securities as well, insecurities as well. And they oftentimes are in a position where mistakes in their work or problems in their area of responsibility have an even higher set of stakes attacked attached to them. You you have more possibility of, quote, looking bad in front of larger numbers of people if one of your problems is aired out there for everyone to see. So it takes greater care on the part of the CEO or the leadership team of the company to make sure that folks who are in leadership roles actually can be part of the solution rather than becoming defensive and worrying about their reputation and the 
and saving face in that sort of context. Okay, great. Uh, uh, That was like tremendously valuable. I I appreciate um, the ideas that you've shared. I think this is so valuable for, I think so many leaders don't realize how they're um, coming across, how they're being perceived. Uh, As you were talking, I was thinking about experiences I've had with leaders, like, you know, places I've worked and where egos are fragile and, uh, you know, leaders aren't necessarily as confident as you were saying. And then you you add in that they're not terribly nice. Um, It creates a real dysfunction in the whole company because people don't speak up. They speak up to each other, but they don't speak up to the leader or to the leadership. And um, a lot of times I found that the best things don't happen because no one will say anything. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I really appreciate it. I think this is like really, really valuable. Can you tell the listeners, uh, you know, how they can find you and, and a little bit about Fountain? Sure. I'm available on LinkedIn. And if people ping me on LinkedIn, just mention that you heard my name or encountered my name on this podcast so that I know where the connection request is coming from. I get a lot of connection requests that I ignore because it's somebody who I don't know or seems to be trying to sell something that I'm not interested in. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to connect with folks via LinkedIn who encounter me via this podcast. And Fountain, of course, like most companies these days, has a LinkedIn page as well. You can check out our page there and you can also read about the company on our website and find out more about our products and services at get.fountain.com. Terrific. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. And listeners, thank you. Uh, You are the reason we are bringing you these wonderful guests with this expertise. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. You know, get your free trial. Go over to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Sign up. uh, Explore the audiobooks, the programs, everything they have to offer. Uh, I think you're going to find that... um, there's an awful lot there that you can take advantage of. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Oh, what's this? Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Pretty cool, right? Wait, are those prices real? Do they have glasses for men? Yep, they also have affordable blue light glasses. Seriously? At those prices? Get them all. I like where this is going. Zenny.com. Prescription glasses starting at six ninety-five. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) No. Right.